Jasmine and Beauty Podcast starts right now. And a good evening, everyone, and welcome into the Jasmine and Beauty Show right here on VIC Radio. 10.06 is the time, and we're on the air until midnight. We got Ben Beatty across the way, board hopping Ben Jacob, Brett Mayerson, and our own Jake Chernock here helping us out. Jake Asmund and Dan Budick, as I just said, until midnight and so much to get to. We'll talk World Series as that game, game five with the Cubs and the Indians going on as we speak. Cubs are up 3-1 to one right now in the top of the sixth inning, so we'll keep you updated on that as we go along. We also have Sunday night football going on. But Dan, as we start to get into everything, another weekend in the books, and l- listen, two straight wins for the New York Jets as we open up talking a little Jets football. And really, it's kind of, you say when you're 2-5, and five, you'll take them any way you can get them, but uh, today, uh, you know, not that impressive of a win, especially in the first half. I mean, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, couldn't play much worse. It was a 3-14 of 14 for 30 yards in the first half, and I give the Jets credit. They came back in the second half and, and took control of the game, a game they had to win against a bad Cleveland Browns football team, but... Um, I was more impressed with the defense. I mean, the defense, especially in the second half, really up until the end of the game, really garbage time, pitched a shutout. So you got to be impressed with the Jets' defense. You'll take the win any way you can get it. you got the Dolphins next week. It was one of those games where if they lost, we'd kind of laugh about it. I think I'm at a point where I can't get that upset with this team. The only reason I would have been pissed off is because the Browns are so bad. They are, but you know what? The Jets, for uh, that, that entire first half, didn't look like they were well, that they much. They looked terrible. The they looked like, I mean, they were down 20-7 to at halftime. It looked like, oh, here we go. The Jets are going to lay an egg against an 0 17. It was brutal. But here's the thing with this Jets team. Even when they were down 20 to 7, the only thing the Jets had going for them was they were playing the Cleveland Browns, a team that's now 0 and 8 after today. But this was a sloppy game and that first half especially was just disgraceful. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think his first half stat line, he was 3 of 14 for 30 yards. Yeah, it was ridiculous. He played a lot better in the second half, but let's be honest, I thought that it was a mistake to even start him in the second half. That's how bad he was in that first half for this Jets team. And the Jets are lucky because if they're playing pretty much any other team in the league today, they're not winning this game. That's how bad they were in that first half. Defensively, they were atrocious. Darrell Rivas got beat, it felt like, by Terrell Pryor on every play in that first half. But if you're a Jet fan, at this point, we said it last week, they're not going to be bad enough to get a top-five pick. So win the games that they could win. Let's see what this team has. Let's see if Todd Bowles can coach. And this was a game they obviously had to win. Now, all of a sudden, you look at the upcoming schedule. you got a winnable game next week on the road in Miami, and then you're home to the Rams before the bye week. The Jets could rattle off now. Four straight wins going into that bye week, take the week off, and set themselves up perfectly to crush their entire fan base in front of the nation on Sunday Night Football against the Pats. We're still a month away from that, but it's just funny how when you look at this Jets team, we had so so many expectations for them. We thought it was playoffs or bust. And here they are halfway through the year at 3-5. and five. And at 3-5, and five, and you said it, a couple of winnable games coming up before they hit that bye week. But my thing is, now going into next week against Miami, the teams are 3-5. and five. After seeing what you saw today from Ryan Fitzpatrick, are we at the same level with Ryan where if he comes out next week against Miami and struggles maybe like he did today in the first half, do you make a move? Uh, to Bryce Petty, or where are we, or where do you think we are at this point? Because I think next week, listen, if Ryan Fitzpatrick comes out there and plays a lethargic first half like he did today and maybe doesn't have, uh, throws has a lot of incompletions and has less than 100 yards passing and, and the Jets' offense looked like what it did in the first half, I wouldn't be surprised if Todd Bowles goes to Bryce Petty. Everything's complicated now because I really think 
that if Ryan Fitzpatrick throws an interception on that opening drive like he should have, if he's not bailed out by a great individual effort by Quincy Anunwa, who broke up the play as a receiver now playing defensive back in that role that saves, fits the interception, the Jets end up scoring on that drive, Bryce Petty probably comes into the game. So you're right. It kind of complicates the entire quarterback situation. Ryan Fitzpatrick has now helped the Jets win two straight games. But last week against the Ravens, he was okay. And today they played the Cleveland Browns, and he was horrible in the first half. And, and even when so he, where are we with that Exactly. Spot? It's really a tough situation. And I think if there was any question to what they do and any confusion, I think it's gotten that much more and more confusing coming in with the Jets quarterback situation. You're in a spot where you're kind of – you don't know where you are. You don't know what Fitz is going to give you going forward just because of the fact that, yeah, they played well today and beat the Cleveland Browns. But, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick threw for 30 yards in the first half, threw for 100. 198 in the second half. You didn't do anything spectacular. You didn't blow your shoes off and, and rock your socks. He was okay. But if he plays as bad as he did in the first half next next week in the first half, I mean, you got to think that maybe Todd Bowles will make a push and make a move to uh, Bryce Petty. Because you're right. I think in that second half, if he threw an interception there early on, you definitely would see Bryce Petty because I think the leash going into that second half with Ryan Fitzpatrick was very short. It just so happened that he didn't turn over the football. He's very lucky he didn't because the reason why the Jets were able to come back in this game down 20-7 to is because they did not turn over the football, even that first half, as bad as they played. But this is just one of those games where the Jets are a bad team, but they're not as bad as the Cleveland Browns. Let's not let one win take away from the fact that at the midway point of the year, this team's 3-5. and five. But you know what really the difference is, and we talked about this a lot off the air before when we were preparing for the show, the Jets' first six games, we knew how difficult they were when five of those first six games were against teams that made the playoffs from a year ago. Had they just taken one of those games that they lost, and they were 4-4 four and four at this point in the year, Four and four, halfway through, you'd be feeling pretty good about them going forward. But now, when you look at this Jets team, because they blew it against Cincinnati, because they didn't show up at games against Seattle and Arizona, and they didn't give themselves a chance really against Pittsburgh when they Pittsburgh came back and won that game late, you're now in a spot where you're three, three and five at the midway point. You're not bad enough for a top five pick. And you get to tease your fans a little bit because the Jets, they could easily beat Miami next week. I don't know if they will, but that's a winnable game. The following week, we just talked about it, the Rams, another winnable game. So you're 5-5, five and five, and then everyone gets to see you after the bye week take on a real team in the New England Patriots. And we all know how it's going to go if you're a Jet fan. They could be embarrassed on Sunday Night Football. That will end the season, and then it's, well, you already have five wins. Now what do you do? Because you're not going to be bad enough to be 3-13, and 4-12 and 12 because – when you start 3-5, and five, you put yourself in such a hole, realistically, to get to the playoffs. What, the Jets got to go now? They got to have, you know, they got eight games left in the second half. They got to go 7-1 to give themselves a chance, if that. Oh, it's not going to happen. I mean, they're not, I, I mean, playoffs, they're not, they're so not a playoff team. It's just so frustrating. It's very frustrating. Win, they, because they can't even win in the right way. No, you're you're it's, right. It's and and it, it just goes to show you the Jets were... Um, those first six games, you know, the first early games in the season for the Jets, they just they couldn't overcome that tough beginning of the schedule. And the problem is, you're right, they couldn't get one of those wins because if they did, you say, all right, at least they have a soft schedule coming up at the back end. They could get some wins, pile on some wins, and, and have a shot for the playoffs. But you said starting out 2-5, and five, you just don't put yourself in a position to realistically be a playoff team. Obviously, anything can happen. It's sports. It's football. 
you, you never know what can happen. But realistically, the Jets aren't going to be a playoff team here. That's why I'm saying next week, if Fitz is that bad and Fitz continues to, to just not do anything special, and it just seems like watching him play quarterback today, last week, he just it's kind of boring. It, it, it's very boring. He, he can't turn the ball over. It's kind of like Mark Sanchez in 2009, but, but 2010 it, with the, the stopwatch. It's like red, right, green, right? What, but, what color but is the it right diff- now? You know, what the, you know what the difference is here is, is I feel like we, there was a different feel there because Mark was a, a rookie quarterback and there was so much expectation and, and, and well, he had such Fitz a high Patrick ceiling. Is. Well, that's the thing. You know what Fitz is and that's what I'm saying. Next week, the next couple weeks, if he's just not doing it, not performing well, well, you know, when is that time? When is the appropriate time for Todd Bowles to well, say, Let, let's put Petty in? The thing is, it almost came today. I really feel. We no, I agree with you. I definitely Petty's think so. coming into that game. And Fitzpatrick has the nerve, and we talked about this last week on the show, to call out Jets management, call out Todd Bowles, to call out the owner and Woody Johnson and say, no one believed in me. Well, Fitz, no one believed in you because you stunk. And in that first half today, you threw for 30 yards. You were 3 of 14. You're lucky Todd Bowles, quote, believed in you to even well, let you start and, the and, second and half. And that's so funny because we both said there's no way they're going to put Fitz out there. After the first half he played, there's no way Todd Bowles is going to go back to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Todd Bowles should be fired if they put him out even, there. And I mean, put him out there. I mean, everyone was calling for Bryce Petty. I mean, we were looking on Twitter at halftime. Joe Namath was asking for Todd Bowles to put Bryce Petty in. So it just goes to Quick show side you. I know Joe Namath on Twitter, phenomenal. I love it. The hot takes he has. I, I never they're realized not lukewarm. it. They're not, they're not lukewarm. He's got very hot takes. But it just goes to show Steaming you this, this lack of uh, of uh, faith, quote-unquote, that Ryan Fitzpatrick said uh, the Jets coaching staff and ownership doesn't have in him anymore. Well, there was no reason for the Jets to go back out there in the second half and have Ryan Fitzpatrick as their quarterback starting out the half today. And they did. So it just goes to show you, I think Todd Bowles does believe in Ryan Fitzpatrick because I think he knows the Jets' only chance here. And I think Todd Bowles is still, you know— hoping and, and and really thinking that maybe the Jets can still fight their way back into a playoff race. And the only hope of that happening, obviously, is Ryan Fitzpatrick plays well. So for, it just goes to show you, for Ryan Fitzpatrick to say a couple weeks ago that the Jets— a couple weeks ago that the Jets had no faith in him. I mean, that's a little ridiculous. It was a joke. And when he said that, we all laughed because they paid him $12 million because they did believe in him. And this is a guy that asked for $17 million, and the Jets still gave him 12 and no other team was willing to give him anywhere near close to what he wanted. He was lucky the Jets even offered him 12 And I'm a Fitzpatrick guy. I thought it was the right move bringing him back, as did every Jet fan. But when he's played this poorly for this extended period of time, for him that had the audacity to say, you know, they don't believe in me. They believed in you enough to bring you back and not pull you at you through six interceptions. So when I saw Fitz go out there today and play one of the f- worst first halves of football you could possibly see, missing different receivers, balls not being placed where they needed to be. He was awful. He was terrible. I'll give him credit. He played a lot better in the second half. But I'm not giving the Jets credit, and I'm not giving Fitzpatrick credit because they beat a team that's now 0-8. You know, show me something next week. The Jets cannot come out next week against the Dolphins and have another one of these slow starts. Because even though Miami's not that good... They're better than Cleveland. They are significantly better than Cleveland. They have already beaten Cleveland. And Miami's beaten, you know, a couple good teams now. They beat the Steelers earlier this year. Miami's playing a lot better than the team that looked like maybe them and the Browns are the worst team in the league. So the Jets next week, if they want to get the 4-5 and five and then maybe inspire hope they can then get the 5-5 five and five the week later against the Rams at home before the bye week, they got to come out and play a lot better from start to finish. And it starts with a good starting first quarter. They can't be as bad as they were today against the winless Cleveland Browns. And then you're right. They got lucky today they were playing the Cleveland Browns because you said that first half. I mean, 106 they, yards. It was awful. Their offense. Seven on third down. 
and Fitzpatrick, we just said it, 30 yards passing in that first half. Their offense was anemic in the first half. And it was really just, it was a lot of what we've seen this year. And just not being able to move the ball, uh, poor execution, poor route running, uh, mistimed routes, throws behind receivers, Fitz overthrowing receivers. I mean, that's what we've seen all year. So it's really just been uh, more of the same in that first half. And, yeah, they came out in the second half. I'm sure they made a lot of adjustments in the locker room. But you said it. They were playing the Cleveland Browns. They were playing a team they should have beaten bad. You know, the Jets coming into this season, I mean, you come into this season and you look at the Jets' schedule, you say they're playing the Cleveland Browns, you think they're going to smack them. Uh, you know, it should be an automatic, which should be a layup. The Browns are terrible. The Jets are ten times better than the Cleveland Browns. But that's just how poorly the Jets have played this year, and that's the type of season they've had. You said winning in the wrong way. The Jets really had a win today. Yeah, yeah you're happy they got it done, but it, it was not impressive. No, it was one of those games where you'll take the win. It keeps the season relevant for the time being anyway. And listen, they got Miami next week. We just talked about it. Then they got the Rams. Then the bye week. If they can get the 5-5, five and five, I'll give them credit in the sense they didn't mail in their season. But at the same time, we had such high expectations for this team. For them to be now 3-5 and five at the midway point, it's just, so, it's just so maddening as a Jeff fan because you know they're better than this. And it goes back to what we were just talking about. Had they been able to take one of these games against Cincinnati, against Seattle, against Pittsburgh, I didn't expect them to win Arizona or Pittsburgh, but... You split there. Good teams find a way to win some of these games, and the Jets have not played like a good team now at the halfway part, at the halfway mark of the season. So now with the two games coming up, can they win two in a row? Sure, but it's the Jets, so no, nothing's a guarantee. Today against Cleveland just shows you how poorly the Jets still are as a football team. That it took really you know, Cleveland kind of melting down in the second half, and the Jets to finally figure things out to get a win against the worst team in the NFL. The worst team in the NFL. And, and Josh McCown, on a side note, he's a brutal NFL quarterback. He's through the world. How many yards did he throw today? Like 300-something yards? I mean, he threw for 341 yards, but he missed a lot of but open it just shows receivers. You how he was skewed. awful. He, and Cleveland had a lot of drops today. You could see why the Browns were bad. You know, oh, they're bad brutal. Teams find a way to beat themselves. They had a lot of drops. I mean, Josh McCown couldn't hit anyone that was open, and 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 that's the thing is like you watch the game. There were so many opportunities for the Browns to have big plays downfield. There were just so many drops. It looked like there was a lot of miscommunication. Terrell Pryor dropped a pass that would have beat Revis, and it would have he would have been gone. So for that a that's what I'm saying. That's why you look at the numbers. They're a little skewed because the Browns just couldn't execute at all, and they couldn't execute at all for most of this game, and they led twenty to seven at half. That's how poor the Jets have played today early on in this game. I mean, they played a team that, that wasn't even playing well and a bad team that wasn't playing well and was down by 13 points at halftime. And just to give you an idea, the one positive thing I could say about the Browns, uh, Terrell Pryor looks like he's going to be a pretty good receiver. Made the transition from quarterback and then found a way to play receiver. He's just a phenomenal athlete. I know he had that one bad drop today, but overall, he beat Darrell Rivas for six catches for 101 yards, most of those coming on Rivas on 13 targets. He had a very good game today. So that's one positive if you're a Browns fan. But the Jets are the steamroll of this team today. The fact that it was even close late just speaks volumes about where this Jets team is right now. So I'm pretty disappointed. You never you, you never shoot down a win. You'll take the win, you move on. But when you're three and five, you know, just the season kind of feels lost, even though mathematically you could say the Jets are still in it. But it is what it is. We'll take the win, we'll move on. And at least for at least today and at least for last week, we now have two games in a row. Can they push it to three, maybe four? Remains to be seen. But 
They beat the worst team in the league today, so one thing's for sure, the Jets will not have the number one overall pick this year. Cleveland looks like they're on the path to finish, what, 2-14, and 1-15? Oh, something like that. I don't that. know who they're, they're beating. Just, they're just a bad football team. They, they don't have a lot of talent on offense. You mentioned Pryor. I like Pryor. Pryor's a good player. And yep. you said mentioned he made that transition from quarterback to receiver. He even pops in a quarterback every once in a while for Cleveland. He's a good player, but outside of that, I mean— you know, they went into this season with Robert Griffin III, their starting quarterback. He got hurt opening week. Cody Week Kessler one, Cody hurt. Kessler. They've had so many guys get I think hurt. they've had six quarterbacks this year. Isn't that remarkable? Six quarterbacks, which is more pitchers, starting pitchers, I believe, than the uh, Cleveland, Indians, the have Cleveland used. Indians have used in the playoffs. Yeah. So. And it's pretty amazing. Just to give everyone an update on the baseball game, we have it on in our studio. Cubs are holding on to a 3-2 lead in the bottom of the six. We'll talk more about the World Series as we go on with the show. As the Indians are looking to stay, or excuse me, the Cubs are looking to stay alive. Indians looking to close them out. And it'd be pretty amazing if they get it done, winning all three games at Wrigley Field. So we're monitoring that. Of course, Sunday night football is going on. So we'll keep you updated as we go along. And we're taking you until midnight. But when we come back, we're going to open up the phone lines. The number to call 607 274 1842. We're talking Jets football. Jets beat the Browns today. The Jets are now 3 and 5 at the halfway point. We'll come back and. Hear from you, 607-274-1842. It's the Asthma Budic Show on VICradio.org and TuneIn Radio. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gus Buster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit GusBuster.com and get your GusBuster today. You are listening to the Asman and Budic Show on VIC Radio. Tune in radio and podcast it on ICTV.org and iTunes. Well, now we're going to talk a little basketball. We haven't done a lot of the Knicks on the program since we've been back up here on at school doing the show on VIC Radio. But you look at this Knicks team. And they're off to a decent start, all things considered. I expected them to get blown out by Cleveland, which they did on opening night. Cleveland got their rings, and the Knicks were completely out of sync in that one. And then they beat a banged-up Memphis team at Madison Square Garden yesterday. So the Knicks are 1-1 one one as they get the new season underway, year three of Phil Jackson's tenure. And I guess when you kind of look at this Knicks team, they're very interesting in a sense that, hey, if everything goes right, maybe they're a top three, top four team in the Eastern Conference. But if guys get hurt and guys don't play to their potential, Przingis doesn't show that he's better than he was in year one. D. Rose is injured. Melo gets banged up. Joakim Noah is injured. Then the Knicks could be a borderline playoff team, maybe not a playoff team at all. But so far, you look at this Knicks team, I kind of expected a slow adjustment. We've seen it when new teams come together, especially with new teams and a new coach. It could take some time. But if you're the Knicks, you got to like how you played the other night, or last night, I should say, against Memphis at home. you got to win games at home, and so far the Knicks are 1-0 at Madison Square Garden. New coach, a lot of new players on this team. Yeah, it's going to take some time to, to gel and get things going, especially offensively. But uh, I think this is a Knicks team that where expectations should be reasonably high. They're a really talented team. Uh, Phil Jackson brought in uh, really talented players to to put the Knicks in a position to be a playoff team. And you mentioned health, and you know that's obviously going to be a, a big concern. Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, you know they have to stay healthy. They need contributions from them both if the Knicks want to be you know a top five seed. And listen. Not talking about championship contenders or, or a team that's going to go on a, a world title run, but 
we do want to see, and as Nick fans, Nick fans want to see a team that can go and be a competitive team through the playoffs and maybe crack their way into the Eastern Conference Finals. Who knows if everything goes right? And something to be said about this Knicks team, you look at guys like Brandon Jennings and Courtney Lee, two of the more under-the-radar type signings that Phil Jackson made. This Knicks team on paper, they're pretty good. And listen, people joke, oh, it's not 2011 anymore or the Knicks would be NBA champion favorites. But this Knicks team Which they probably play. would. That's a very fair point. It, it's true, but this Knicks team could still play. And to give you an idea of what it's been like as a Knicks fan watching them the past couple of years when Jose Calderon was the team's point guard. I mean, Derrick Rose going to the rim last night with ease is something as a Knicks fan I have not seen in years. I can't even tell you the last time the Knicks had a point guard that could attack the rim and, and create some points off the dribble. In the past, it's only, only been Carmelo Anthony that can really do that. Last year, we saw Porzingis, what he could do as a rookie, and he looks really good. He looks like he is a lot stronger this year. He talks about how he has a lot more stamina and he feels better late in these games. It's going to make a huge difference for this Knicks team. And overall, when you look at a guy like Carmelo Anthony, he needs some teammates. He needs some help. And Derrick Rose is the perfect type of point guard if he's healthy. Big if, but if he's healthy, to be that guy that could take some of the load off Carmelo Anthony. And the Knicks, you know, you talk about upgrades at point guard and making an upgrade at point guard. I mean, the the, the upgrade from Jose Calderon to Derrick Rose is monumental. I mean, you're go, you're talking and about... you can say whatever you want about Derrick Rose, but he's just still, it's still oh, at his point so much better it's than Jose It's Calderon. night and day. I mean, this is a, a 360 upgrade. It's, it's a complete swing from what the Knicks had, because let's be honest here. Calderon, you know, did some nice things before he came to the Knicks. His tenure with the Knicks, very below average. He was a very below average point guard with the Knicks. He didn't, he was, a, he got annoying to watch, and uh, it was time for a change, but the Knicks brought in Derrick Rose, probably the best guy they could possibly bring in at the price they got him for. Mm-hmm. And Well, worst case scenario, he's gone at the end of the year. You know, it's a one-year deal, and the Knicks have the cap room to make the move, and then they get the flexibility to go out and sign guys if it does not work to replace Derrick Rose. But best-case scenario, it works. He's still pretty good. I don't think he'll ever be the MVP of old that he was when he was still breaking into the league, the 2010-11 MVP that D. Rose used to be. But if he's somewhat healthy... He's still a very good basketball player, and we saw that last night. I know it's only you know two games into the year, but this is a guy that with a new team and everything that happened with the civil trial did not really get the opportunity to practice with the starters for this Knicks unit. As more time and more games are played, if Derrick Rose can continue to play like the guy he played, uh, like the way he played, I should say, last night, the Knicks will be in pretty good shape just because of the fact that they got him. Porzingis looks like he's going to be so much better than he was as a rookie. And Carmelo is still a really good player. So this Knicks team has three guys that can all score. Then you look at guys like Joakim Noah and Courtney Lee. The Knicks starting five is as legitimate as any starting five in the Eastern Conference. And that, as a Knicks fan, at least they're giving you something you can watch this year. The Knicks should be fun to watch. And listen... Best case scenario, I think they're a three or a four seed. Worst case, they're a borderline playoff team, but no excuses. This team is good enough to make the postseason, and they better make the postseason here in year three of the Phil Jackson tenure. And that's what I was about to say. We are now three years into Phil Jackson. He is now on his second head coach in Jeff Hornacek. Obviously, we know the well, first one. Well, third if you want to count Rambus. Well, third if you want to count Rambus. I mean, <laughs> we love Kurt. I, we, we do love Kurt, uh, but. So, so te- technically, Kurt also is uh, you know he's into some 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 bad things on on Twitter. Well, we know all about it, but you know, um, second hire Jeff, he hired Jeff Fisher. Um, well, this is it for Phil, and and now bringing in Hornacek. So he's on his second hire as far as head coach concerned. And really, you mentioned the team. 
I mean, he put this team together. If this doesn't work out, it's on Phil Jackson. I mean, this is this is a very important season for not only the Knicks, is obviously Hornacek's first year as the head coach, some new players, but as far as Phil Jackson being the president and, and really running the show with the Knicks, this is an important season. He's cleared out a lot of the garbage that was here the last couple of years. We've seen a lot of losing. We know all about it. Some questionable trades over the last couple of years. But now, it's things have started to come together, starting off last year, drafting Chris uh, Dapps Przingis. We've seen what he can develop. We see the potential with him. We see, you know, what he possibly can be. And the Knicks have put a team around him and Melo to, to try to be competitive and, and make a run uh, for a playoff spot. Th- this is on Phil Jackson. This is his team. And if it crashes and burns and doesn't go well, it's going to be his head. You're absolutely right. And this Knicks team, what I like about them is if it does not work, if this team fails, then you know what? A lot of these contracts you can get away from. You can deal with Brandon Jennings' one-year deal. You can handle Derrick Rose and his one year remaining on his contract. But the biggest thing with this Knicks team is in the in the short term, they're built to be competitive. They're built to win. In the long term, you still have Kristaps Porzingis, who I think will benefit from the fact that he's going to be playing on a winning team. He's going to be playing with a guy like Joakim Noah, Carmelo Anthony, Derrick Rose, all guys that have played in the league for 10-plus years, all guys that are more than capable of, of being uh, all-stars in the past, or in the case of Carmelo Anthony, still current all-star caliber players. So you look at this Knicks team, and on paper they should be pretty good, but I think Knicks fans have to be patient if they get off to a slow start. I always go back to what happened in Miami a couple years ago when LeBron went down there for the first time. They started off 9-8, and eight, and that was a team that had LeBron James in his prime, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade all still in their primes as well. And they were 9-8. and eight. So if the Knicks get off to, I don't know, a 7-8 and eight start, an 8-8 eight and eight start through the first 15, 16 games or so, uh, you got to just be patient. It's a long season, and it's going to take some time. But if you're the Knicks, win your games at home and win games against the bad teams in the league, and you'll be in the playoffs. And you've, as far as Chris Tasperzingis, I mean, you're right. You put uh, some quality, top-level um, veterans from in the NBA around him. I mean, he's only going to get better. And I think you, you see last season with 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 the potential you have in Kristaps Porzingis and and how good uh, and his ceiling is and how high his ceiling is. There's no reason why uh, the Knicks can't be a playoff team this year, and they they should be a playoff team this year. I, I think when you look at the Knicks and you say worst case scenario eighth seed. I mean, if if in any way the Knicks make the miss the playoffs this year, it's a, it's a big disappointment with the moves they made in the off season and. Uh, the talent on this roster, and they're a very talented roster. It's a matter of health. Obviously, you can't predict injuries. It's something you know no one can control. But this is a team that should make the playoffs. This is a team that should make the playoffs and should be better than an eight seed, maybe a five, six seed. You know, they they have talent on this team. It would be disappointing if the Knicks, you know, weren't able to make the playoffs. I think with the expectations Knicks fans have and the expectations I think the Knicks have for themselves, this is a playoff team. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And they should be a playoff team. It's, I was talking to one of my friends, he's a big Knicks fan, earlier today, and he's like, it's playoffs or a bust. This team has to be in the playoffs. And you know what? They should be in the playoffs. I don't even want to think, oh, can the Knicks be a playoff team? It, they they're should be. Three of I Jackson. agree. They should be a and playoff team. And they're, so I felt they should have been in the playoffs last year before things unraveled. They were 22 Absolutely. and 22. Things went to the absolute toilet. Derek Fisher gets fired. We know what happens the rest of the way. But, I mean, you're in the Eastern Conference. The Knicks should be able to win 40-plus games and be a playoff team. I think that is the minimum expectation for this team. 
I'm thinking bigger than that. I'm thinking if everything goes right, guys stay healthy, they can be a three or a four seed. There's no reason why they can't. No, I, I agree with you. What I'm saying is the fact that you look at the talent on this roster and expectations are now have now grown, which is why there's a lot of pressure on, on Phil Jackson that where if this does not go right, like I said before. Well, he's taking a risk bringing in guys. He's going to gonna, gonna, gonna be the history. one gone. He is, and here's the thing. He has an opt-out at the end of the year. So if Phil's going to opt-out at the end of the year, and he says he won't, but if this thing is completely unravels, he might just get up and leave. Why not? What's stopping him? And then you look back on his tenure, it'll be three years without the playoffs, and ultimately you'll look at what happened with Przingis and what he comes out to, what what he turns out to be. That will be the legacy that Phil Jackson leaves on this franchise, being able to be be able to say, I'm the guy that drafted Chris Porzingis. But right now, Phil's legacy as a Knicks GM you're in year three, so this team better start to win games. It better be a playoff team because you look at the league; they're not winning a championship. They're not Golden State. They're not Cleveland. We just saw that the other night. How far they, how far away they are from being a team remotely capable of competing with the Cleveland Cavaliers. But at the minimum, this team has to be in the playoffs, and I don't even want them to be an eighth or a seventh seed. I think they should be at the minimum, then a sixth or a fifth heck seed. yeah. I mean, they're a talented team, and I think in a weak, uh, excuse me, weak Eastern Conference, you know, there's no reason. Why the Knicks uh, should not be a five or six seed? They're that talented. They're that. They're really that talented. I think Phil Jackson did a good job, you know, being creative, putting this team together with the one-year deals and and getting Rose and only having one year invested in Derrick Rose. Not like you have four. Not like he's on the books for three or four years. I like what Phil has done to put this team together, and I think th- this is his team. You know, this is this is his team, and if if they crash and burn, you know, he's going to be the one that that has to pay for it ultimately. One player that I think. A lot of Nick fans are going to love, and I think Nick fans have already started to love, is Brandon Jennings. He's a little erratic. He takes some bad shots sometimes, but he's a fiery guy. The fans are going to love his passion. They're going to love his hustle. He's a great guy to have off the bench. He's great, and he's a guy that he could be in the running if everything goes smoothly for sixth man of the year. You know, he's that type of player off the bench. Another thing, if I'm Jeff Hornacek, what I would do is I would let Kristaps Porzingis play a lot with the second unit. I would let him be the last starter subbed out and let Kristaps kind of be the guy with the second unit at certain stretches in the game. Because when Carmelo is out there and when Derrick Rose are out there, they're the head honchos out there on the court. Kristaps is what he is. That's a good point. But if you put him in that second unit, and he's young, so he should still have plenty of energy, he's going to be phenomenal. You'll have him start the game, but then usually what we've seen in the past, Carmelo is one of the the, the last guys to be substituted out. I'd swap it. I'd have Kristaps Porzingis be one of the last guys out with the starters, put him out there with the, the second unit for a little bit, and let him get his touches that way. Because I think Porzingis is just so good, and you could play him in so many different spots. You could play him at a, a three or four or a five. Why not use him in the second unit? and have him be able to dominate the game against backups for the opposing team. Well, that'll be something to keep an eye on. That's an interesting point. I, I agree, I agree with you. I th- in I previous think, years, they no, would never be able to do this. Well, because well, they well, when you have a strong bench, and, and how bad has the Knicks bench been the last couple of years? They finally have some guys off the bench that can contribute in a big way where you're not looking at, a, at such a big drop-off when you have to go to the, the bench players to give you some significant minutes. The Knicks have some depth, and how important is depth in the NBA? It's, it's, it's crucial. You have to be a deep team, especially when... You have aspirations to be a playoff team. You have to be deep. You have to have a good bench. And the Knicks bench the last couple of years. This year, you know, obviously it's much improved. But last year, the year before, the last three years, I mean, the Knicks bench has been absolute garbage. 
Just garbage. It's been brutal. But you know what's funny, too? Joakim Noah, a lot of Nick fans maybe didn't love the signing or thought he can't play anymore. thing is, he had a shoulder injury. So it's not something that's like, oh, it's lingering. You're not sure if it's going to act up again. He got it repaired. He says he's healthy. He looked pretty good. He had seven assists the other night. The last time a Nick Center had that many assists, you go all the way back to 2010 Amari Sotomayor. And what I like about Joakim Noah and his game, first off, he's from New York, so the fans already love him. But he he's willing to pass. He's willing to set up his teammates. He's willing to play defense. And I think he fits well with Porzingis in a sense. He's not going to be taking away the spacing that Porzingis needs out there on the floor. I kind of like that signing. I know there's some risk with injuries and what he could do. But at the same time, you're giving him money. You must believe that he's going to be healthy enough to be able to contribute for you know, the next couple of years. You did give him a four-year deal. Next one and one. Another team, Jake, four, uh, also one and one. The Golden State Warriors. They lost opening night. They got to win the other night. When you look at the Golden State Warriors and the they're expectations being around this team, they, they are fun to hate. But, you know, they're going to be a team that has that target on their back. And, and a lot of people, you said it, you know, people like rooting against those kind of teams. It creates drama, it creates thrill, and it creates ratings for the NBA, that's for sure. It certainly does, and what was crazy about what happened with them, they got they didn't just lose opening night. They lost by 30 points to the Spurs at home. I mean, this is a Warriors team that never lost at home at all last year, and here they are losing to the San Antonio Spurs on opening night, so a little bit of a humble pie for that team, but it's going to take time. I think it was the point we were just talking about with the Knicks, how new coach, new players. Well, with the Warriors... Even though Kevin Durant is joining a team that still kept its core in place, you're still adding another great superstar to a new team. It's going to take time to, to blend together. Plus, people got to remember, Golden State has a bunch of new guys on coming off their bench. They, got, they don't have a lot of the returners they had a year ago in the previous year when they were in the NBA Finals and they were going to the Conference Finals. A lot of those guys aren't there anymore. They had to completely revamp their bench and they revamped their starting lineup with the addition of Kevin Durant, but it's a different team, similar with the core. But once again, it goes back to what we were just talking about with the Knicks, how it's going to take time to gel. It took Miami time when LeBron first got there. I think the same thing can be said for the Warriors. So that's why when people thought, well, Golden State, they may win 73, 74 games. Well, it's going to take time. That's why they're over-under in Vegas with only 66-and-a-half because people expect it to maybe take – 15, 20 games or so for them to really get on a roll and get things going. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. And, and you talk about not only adding a new piece to your starting five, but adding a guy that is as dynamic as Kevin Durant and that demands the ball as much as Kevin Durant. There, there's going to be an adjustment period, but I love uh, the panic uh, of the fans when they um, – I love the panic of the fans when they lose their first game and they get blown out and everyone's saying, well, the Warriors this, the Warriors that, Durant this, Durant that. They'll be fine. They're going to come into their own. But you said it. It takes a while to gel. Well, that's you know, my it, problem it, take, NBA, it takes though. 15, 20 games. My problem with the NBA is that we know what the finals are going to be. You know, it's going to be Cleveland. You know, it's going to be Golden State. And you could say, well, what about some of these other teams? But, like, let's be honest, folks. When it comes down to it, look what happened last year. It was Cleveland and it was Golden State. What everyone said was going to happen at the beginning of the year, that's exactly what happens. And unless you're a one or a two seed, you most likely don't have a chance. So that's why, as a Knicks fan, you're hoping they could build on what they did. But you're right. When you look at the Warriors, it will take time for them to gel. It always does. But... We're so early. I just love the people that overreact to one game well, after you know an entire offseason. You wait to play basketball. They lose by 30, and people freak out and say, whoa, was adding Kevin Durant the wrong thing to do? Could we give it time, people? My God. Well, and it just goes to show you the irrational uh, reactions of people. The but hot take culture the, it, that and is that, sports. The hot take culture, but they did get blown out opening night. And I think you know just because not only they lost but did get blown out uh, kind of uh, – Caught a lot of people by surprise. You are listening to Jake Asman and Dan Budick right here on the Asman and Budick Show. 
Follow the show on Twitter with the handle at AsmanBudicShow. Asman and Budic Show, Jake Asman, Dan Budic with you until midnight here on VIC Radio. As a reminder, as always, our show will be podcasting on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Check that out later this week. Plenty of more info, by the way, coming about our Super Bowl announcement. Hopefully by the end of the week we'll be able to release a lot more of the ideas and the different um, different guests we're trying to line up, the different things we're planning when we're down there at Radio Row in Houston for a couple of days doing some shows. And a man that will be with us down in Houston is our producer, Jake Chernock. And Jake joins us now for the Around the NFL segment. Jake, take it away. All right, guys. Starting off for the for the second straight week, a tie in the National Football League. Washington and Cincinnati draw at Wembley Stadium in London, 27-27. Kirk Cousins over 450 yards passing in this game. But Washington missed a key field goal in overtime. How about two draws in one week, guys? Well, that's, that is, that's, that's unbelievable. Two ties in back-to-back weeks. First off, you never really get a tie. And then you know, two in back to back weeks. Has that ever happened since I, the, I don't know. the overtime format has been what it is? I, 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 I can't imagine it has. I feel like it, it, no way. Usually you get one tie a year, maybe. I mean, two in back to back weeks? That's not unbelievable. To, not to mention both nationally televised games. Last week it was Seattle, Arizona on Sunday Night Football. And then today it was the London game. It was nationally broadcasted on Fox. Yeah, and almost a third tie, really. The Raiders and uh, Buccaneers went, I think, until three minutes, two and a half minutes to go in overtime before Carr threw that touchdown pass. Last time there was two ties in the same season, 1997. Evan, watching on our Facebook Live page, just commented that. What about back-to-back weeks? I, mean, I guess it never happened. That probably has never happened. I mean, that. what are the odds? And there was, I mean, like I just said, there was almost a third game. That Raiders-Buccaneers game today Went all the way to, what, three minutes, two and a half minutes, like I said, before the Raiders scored. I mean, imagine we had two, uh, three tie games in, in one week, two on the same day. I mean, that's unbelievable. The people of London were treated to an absolute joyous football game between the Bengals and the Washington Redskins. But, hey, a tie is a tie, and it's not a win, it's not a loss, but... I know Josh Norman after the game, he was upset. He doesn't like the tie rule. And listen, I, personally, I think that if you can't win the game in regulation and you can't win the game in overtime, you might as well tie because neither team deserves to win. Well, could you, you should talk- just get a loss. You should both teams should just lose. Would you rather that? <laughs> I mean, I guess you'll take the tie. I mean, I see why players just competing don't want a tie, but um, you certainly understand why they do have the tie rule in place. Anyway, Dan, you just touched on it. The Raiders over the Bucks, 30-24 to in overtime. Seth Roberts, the go-ahead touchdown, well, the walk-off touchdown, I should say, after two late missed field goals from Sebastian Janikowski, one in overtime, and then one at the very end of regulation. Derek Carr, 513 yards and four touchdowns. How about that kid, guys? He's Derek, the Derek Carr is becoming one of the best quarterbacks in football. Every week well, he Raiders gets better. Six and two. The Raiders are 6-2. and two. I mean, Derek Carr threw for over 500 yards today. What a what a performance by Derek Carr, and, and you know he's really becoming one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Also, Oakland they committed the most penalties ever in a ever. game today. Twenty four, twenty three, twenty four. And one. I mean, you think if they're gonna on the road, on the road too. And, and the Raiders this year, I think they're five and zero oh at home this year. They are. So they're, uh, excuse me, they're five, five and zero oh on the road on the road this season. So they're five and zero oh on the road. They're now six and two overall. And this is an Oakland Raiders team that I think some people thought maybe they can compete for a playoff spot, a wild card spot. Six and two, they're right there. 
uh, with Denver and with any other team in that division, the Chiefs, they're right there. So this is a Raiders team that I think has proved that they are a legitimate team. And listen, they're on pace to be 12-4. and four. I don't know if that's going to happen. But you give them a lot of credit. You know, give Jack Del Rio a lot of credit, especially first year coach or first year with that new team coming in. And he's done a great job. And this team at 6-2, and two, you got to like it if you're a Raiders fan. I know one of our good roommates, John Sokoloff, who is uh, the host of the, the John and Lebo show on BIC Radio, he's fired up and he should be because usually this is the type of game that the Raiders would lose, 22 penalties and you still win. That's impressive stuff. And it's impressive that they won a game in where they set the record for most accepted penalties in an NFL game. I think that's so crazy. I don't know what that speaks more of, how um, poor the Raiders maybe play today um, as far as being uh, from a from that standpoint or how bad the Buccaneers are because they, they couldn't win this football game even with 23 accepted penalties. I mean, that's just 23 accepted penalties. It's crazy. That is crazy. I mean, it seemed, crazy. Like, it seemed like at the end of the fourth quarter and into overtime, every time there was a play, there was a penalty on the Raiders. That's just what it felt like from watching it from a fan's perspective. I think there were a few more that were declined, too. Like, I think there were like three or four more that were declined or that offset. I'm pretty sure. Like, I think there were more anyway. Well, I'm sure there must there must have been. There, pro- I'm sure there was a few yeah. that were uh, not accepted because, you know, there's a lot of times where penalties aren't accepted. But 23 accepted penalties. It's crazy. And they still won. That's remarkable. It's I, I wonder um, who who's who had the record for most accepted penalties before today. I'm sure whoever it was, they didn't win that football game. I feel like if you if you commit 22 penalties in a game, you're, <laughs> you're not, not you're winning. not going to win. I mean, it's very rare that a team would commit uh, a substantial amount of penalties and win the game. It just it doesn't happen because usually penalty yardage when you commit 23 penalties, you would think some of them have to do oh, have, are, in, are indicative of of your field position. I mean, it's amazing that they won the game, especially if they're deep throws and it's passing interference. It's just you don't see what happened today. So give the Raiders credit though, six and two. Gotta, you gotta, gotta love it if you're an Oakland Raiders fan. I think people thought they could be pretty good, maybe win eight or nine games, but six and two, six and two. You are what your record says you are, and they're off to a phenomenal start through now the first half of the season. So Dan, just so you know, there were three times that a team has had 22 penalties. One, only one of the teams won, and it has not happened since the San Francisco 49ers at Buffalo did it. They lost that game. The Chicago Bears did it in 1944. They won. They beat Philadelphia with 22. Okay, and so the Brooklyn ni- Tigers in 1944. So in the, the so Tigers, in the Super Bowl era, it's n- so in the Super Bowl yeah. era, it's never been done. It's, no, it's happened once. It's happened once. What year? 1998. Okay, 1998. They won. Then the Niners lost at Buffalo. So who committed the 22 penalties? San Francisco. San Francisco. So, but they lost. Yeah, so they lost. so in my so in so in the Super Bowl era, it's never happened where Correct. they a team Correct. won. Okay, Correct. gotcha. So the first ever done. Yeah. Wow, that's Correct. pretty impressive. It is pretty impressive indeed. Moving on, though, Kansas City over the Colts today, 30-14. to Nick Foles came in and replaced a concussed Alex Smith. He threw two touchdowns, and Kansas City moves to 5-2. and As for the Colts, they're now 3-5. and And what's the deal with those guys, guys? Uh, Andrew Luck and the Colts, 3-5. and Their offensive line stinks, and their defense is below average. I mean... Uh, they're they're just not a very good. I don't. Th- I'm not very unimpressed with the Colts. I don't they're think they're a very good they football team. They have a great team. quarterback and really a great receiver and team. But that's all they have. And not that, much that, else. That's all they have. And they have a great kicker in Adam Benatari. I'll give them that too. Great kicker, very good quarterback, great receiver. 
I mean, that's really bad line, mediocre secondary. I mean, seriously, also, how do you, how are you expect to compete when you can't protect the quarterback and you and your secondary is just abl- awful? They're pretty just awful. Coach, too. So Let's bad. be honest. Chuck Pagano has not done a good job. And I think I think Chuck Pagano and Greason, the general manager, are both out of there at the end of the season. And we thought they were both gone at the end of last. But how? Season. But you know what? Like. It's just a. It's to the point where this offensive line, and specifically the offensive line, just because it's been so bad now for three or four years, and they just have not addressed it for whatever reason. They have not addressed this offensive line play, which has just stunk for years. I mean, Andrew Luck is up in the top two or three most hit quarterbacks in the league every year. I mean, what is the deal? When are you going to realize that? First of all. It's valuable you even you have a franchise quarterback to begin with in Andrew Luck, and you got him after having Peyton Manning for God knows how many years, and you can't you don't even put a line to protect the guy. They're wasting. Andrew They're wasting Luck. him. I mean, come on. <laughs> As a Jeff fan, it, it kills me. It, you know, it really is. Andrew it's very it's very frustrating. I mean, I Jets will see the Colts on a Monday night at MetLife Stadium later this December year. December It's very frustrating as a Jets will fan. Will you be working that game? I you will be there. You know what? It's there. very frustrating as a Jets fan seeing the fact that the Jets haven't had a, a top-tier quarterback in 50 years. And the Colts have one and just refuse to protect him. It's like, we don't want to protect him. Ugh. It's like, come on. Greason's got to go. Greason's got to go. Colts defense ranked 28th in the league, according to one of our Facebook commenters, uh, Christian Rauch, who just wrote that in on the page. But uh, 28th, best defense, and Angela could play, but his offensive line has got him hit. They don't run the football well, and you put a lot of pressure on Angela. If he has an off game, they don't win. And that's really what it comes down to. And you know what? Most of the time, it's hard to even point the blame at him for why he doesn't have a good game. He doesn't have any pass protection. He doesn't have any pass protection, and they don't run block. I mean, they're a bad football team. They really are. Besides, you said it, Hilton, who's a very good receiver, as we know, and Luck, who's a franchise-type quarterback, and Adam Benatari, who's a tremendous kicker, clutch kicker. They have nothing We're talking about a mediocre football team here. Nothing else. Anyway, the Saints hold on to top the Seahawks at home 25-20. Drew Brees, 265 yards and a touchdown through the air after they trailed 14-3 in the second quarter. New Orleans... Is now three and four, guys. We were at Buffalo Wild. Looks I was today. about to bring this up. The guy next to us was a huge big Saints, Saints fan, fan, big Saints fan, and he was very, very pleased about this win today. Very, very pleased. Listen, you got to be surprised that the Saints were able to win this game. I mean, I know that they're at home. They usually play well at home. They're two and two now at home this year. But Seattle came into the game at four one and one after last week's tie. And they were driving down the field late. Russell Wilson had a chance to win the game, and he threw the ball incomplete. The Saints fan that you were talking about, Charnock, we were watching the game with, he was surprised there were no flags thrown late in the game there. But in the end, they found a way, the Saints found a way to get a victory at home. And Russell Wilson today didn't throw a touchdown pass, so that was kind of surprising to see. But Drew Brees, he had a Drew Brees-like game, 27-35, 265, threw a touchdown pass. And the Saints, I don't think they're very good, but there's always that rare case where you can win a game at home, you surprise a team. I don't think a lot of people thought Seattle would lose coming off the tie, but you give credit to the Saints. They won at home. Yeah, Seattle, tie last week, and now a lo- tough loss to the Saints on the road. Texans are 5-3. and three. They topped Detroit at home 2013. Honestly, guys, the big thing from this one, did anybody see the video of Bill O'Brien absolutely losing his mind at the special teams coach? Oh, I did see it. That was hysterical. It was hilarious. Yeah, I recommend you checking it out. Bill O'Brien absolutely lost his mind. Screaming it! I don't know who, who the coach was. After, uh, they had, I said it on Twitter. Coach. I saw it on Twitter this afternoon. I didn't see exactly who it was, but he 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 
It had a steam. He berated him pretty berated good. Berated him. Yeah. It was pretty uh it was pretty insane. Moving on, though, Tom Brady and the Patriots, they roll the Bills 41-25 in New Era Field. Tom the Bills Brady, suck. They I, I mean, the Bills are terrible. And you know what? Their defense stunk today. Bill Belichick ran up the score on Rex Ryan's defense that couldn't stop a nosebleed in the second half. And, uh, it was so predictable, though. Let's be it honest. It was. And just because of the fact that the Patriots had lost at home earlier this season. Obviously, we know Tom Brady wasn't the quarterback, but lost on the uh, at home to this Bills team. I just couldn't see the Patriots losing, getting swept there was no by the chance. Bills. New England, they already lost to Buffalo 16 to nothing. I thought they'd have at least 16 points by the end of the first quarter. They very well might have. I mean, Tom Brady today threw four touchdown passes. Is anyone surprised? Did he throw here? four touchdown passes to four different receivers? Yeah, he threw four t- t- touchdown passes to four different receivers. Gronkowski yeah. broke the Patriots' franchise touchdown record with his 69th career touchdown. I mean, this is this guy is, is phenomenal. He's a Hall of Fame caliber tight end already. We can already say that this still really in year seven of his career how good this guy has been but i mean come on buffalo we knew last week when they lost to miami they were in for maybe a three-game losing streak because then they lose to miami now they lost to new england next week they have to go to seattle on a monday night game off i can't loss. say I, off, off a tough loss I, exactly off of two really tough losses one of them where you get embarrassed at home by your division rival I mean, I, I just I can't say I'm surprised. I think this was one of the more predictable games. The NFL is very unpredictable, but for the most part, you kind of know where you're getting in New England, and New England is so much better than any team in that division in the AFC East. This was so so expected, especially the fact that they were coming in off a loss to Buffalo without Tom Brady in that week and, four game. And they smoked them. I mean, they really smoked them, and they never let the Bills really have a chance in this one. And, you know, a funny note on this game, I know, Jake, you teased it before, but what was thrown on the field— Oh, it was amazing. By the bu- in Buffalo. Well, I don't know if we could say what was thrown on the field in radio terms, but if you haven't seen what was thrown on the field, and what disgust! You know what? It's just this disgusting. Is the type of stuff that goes on in Buffalo. I mean, we. And we, you you had the first hand experience. Stuff, was it that? Is, is it that kind of stuff, Jake? There's some kind, that's the kind of stuff that's, that's going on. That's the kind of stuff in Buffalo. The kind of stuff, kind of thing. That's yeah. what's going on in Buffalo. And if you haven't seen it, look it up on the internet. It's all over the place. But Bill's Mafia is like but really disgusting. Throwing some things on the field that listen, so inappropriate. Really, it, just disgusting. It, it rhymes with kiddo, as one of our commenters says on Facebook. Yeah, but Live. but really, just it's just a poor reflection. I feel like week in and week out, we see the videos that come out from this Bill's Mafia nonsense that they do in the parking lot. Their tailgating drunk barrage they do to try to make fools of themselves because their team stinks year after year for the last twenty years. But when was the last time they made the playoffs? 1999. That's right. But, but but really, I mean, it seems like week after week, it just becomes how are Bills fans going to make fools of themselves this week? I mean, they're jumping through tables. They're well, this is well, what went on last week? This was an all timer. So thank you, Bills Mafia, for giving us this this ridiculous video that came out. Thank you, Bills Mafia. We really appreciate it. Sincerely, every Jet fan. They're giving us some great content for our. But radio what show. what happened last week, Jake? You were telling me about it. What what happened last week? Didn't didn't something ridiculous happen oh, last they, week? They, they tackled Kaepernick where or something like that. Was that is this what you're talking about? Yeah, it was something like, last week in the parking lot. Kaepernick. This was a couple weeks ago. Was it a couple weeks? It was just so ridiculous. Yeah, in like, the parking lot. Yeah, it's, it's just a week after stuff. week. It's just it's ridiculous with the Bills Mafia and the, and the nonsense they do. Oh, I mean, Bills focus Mafia, focus honestly, on the fact that your 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 coach sucks and your quarterback sucks. Honestly, next week. honestly, I thought you were talking about another thing that we were talking about. Something very sexually explicit that happened last week 
I, that, I don't think I know what you're talking uh, about. <laughs> what are you getting into here? Anyway, all right. I thought I I, I thought that's what you were talking about. Now I was about. To I was talking about. I don't. I, I believe that's what we were talking about. There was. It, it happened in the parking lot outside of the let's cap, as they refer to it now. Let, as let's go. It should be that. called the rim first off. New Era Field, the cap. The cap, baby. It's called the rim. But but really, just a. It's embarrassing, and this is why you talk about we joke around about Bills fans and Bills Mafia, but this is why they have that stigma because things like this every week, I mean, just keep popping up with the, with the videos that come out of the parking lot and all this. It's just and, – and what was thrown on the field today, it was just very inappropriate. If you haven't seen it, go online. It's everywhere, but that's the type of thing that is going on up in Buffalo. But as far as the football being played out there on the field – I don't think anyone's surprised that New England rolled to an easy victory today over the Buffalo Bills in their home turf. 100%. And Tom Brady tied an NFL record beating the Bills for the 26th time. How about that? Well, it just goes to show you, in those 26 wins, none of them have been against Bills teams that have been in the playoffs. So, it's a true statement. Anyway, Carolina. At least Carolina. the Jets have beaten Brady, and they have beaten him in the playoffs once. You're right. You could carry Gillette. At Gillette, the Jets do, can carry um, can uh, carry that on their mantle. Like, but they have done listen, that. Listen, the Patriots have owned every team in this division. But let's be honest here: the difference between the Bills and the Jets in the last 15 years is not even comparable. The Jets have been a much more successful franchise oh, absolutely. than Buffalo, and it's not even close. Oh, absolutely. But you know, whatever. Just one of those things. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. But anyway, Carolina goes up 24 nothing on Arizona today and then held on to win 30-20. to Cam Newton, some pretty interesting comments after the game, basically talking about his safety on the field and said he wanted to meet, uh, to meet with Commissioner Goodell. And there was a play in this game, guys, where he was actually hit below the knee and there was no call. Afterwards, the official was shown on replay going up to Cam Newton and apologizing for him. Obviously, we all remember week one against Denver, some pretty vicious hits guys had a pretty tough go of it, and now he said today that he basically doesn't feel safe out there. Anymore. Well, you know what, and he, I, I, I understand what he's he saying. because He is targeted sometimes. He is yeah, targeted yes, sometimes, he is. but you know what? When you are that type of quarterback, and you're, when you're playing the quarterback position, and you move out of the pocket and you make plays on your feet, you know, I don't want to say you're going to get targeted, because that's not necessarily true, but you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit, and it's the referee's judgment, uh, the official's judgment to determine whether you know it's an illegal hit or not. And a lot of times, when you have so many hits on the quarterback because they're so versatile, you know they're going to miss one now and then. They're going to miss him. Do I think he's being targeted and he should feel unsafe out on the field? No, I think that's a little ridiculous. But I do understand where he's coming he's from because it has happened. He's taken a beating this year, and here's the thing. Cam Newton's so difficult to officiate because he's so much bigger than any other quarterback that plays the position. It's kind of like when Shaquille O'Neal, he would take a beating and they just wouldn't call anything because he's so big, he's so strong, it's tough to see what's a foul because the impact on him doesn't affect him as it would a normal basketball player. It's the same thing with Cam Newton with his size and what he does. So it's a tricky spot for the lead, but Cam Newton putting Roger Goodell on blast today was not, I don't think, necessarily the right way to maybe go about it, saying that he's got to speak with the commissioner and he's had enough of all this, but I get his frustration, but I'm not so sure what the NFL could really do, because at the same time... I get why he's... It makes sense why he's frustrated. Is, what can, what can Roger Nothing. Goodell do what, about this? Of course I mean, he can't do anything about it. It's, it's, it's a miscalls. They do it all the they, time. It's a miscall. It's miscalls, and it's a judgment. You know, you see something, you throw a flag. 
It's a judgment call. It's a judgment. Those things are kind of like judgment calls, and you're right, Jake. It's very difficult for them to determine what is a foul and what isn't a, a, a penalty, I should say, when you're dealing with Cam Newton, who's so versatile, who's so big, who's so dynamic at the position. You know, these, re- these officials have never seen anything like that before, so it is a learning curve for them, too. It's, it, it's it's a tricky spot to be in if you're if you're Cam Newton. It really is because at the same time, as good as he is, he does take a lot of hits. But hey, that comes with the territory of of what he does. He runs with the football a lot, and I don't think he should feel unsafe when he's out there. But I think he's just venting a lot of his frustrations at the fact that Carolina is off to a terrible start after they went to the Super Bowl a year ago. Yeah, definitely not the uh, type of start they were hoping for. Uh, what are they? Two and five. Guys, I know this segment is around the NFL, but this is just so interesting. I have to point it out. Chapman Chapman is batting right now in the bottom of the eighth inning with two outs and a man on second base. I just saw a post on Twitter. He is 0 for 2 lifetime. He had at bats in 2013 and 2015, but he actually scored a run. Well, Chapman, he's going for the eight-out save, so they're going to let him. you got to let him. you got to let him hit here. I guess you do because it shows you you have no confidence. In your bullpen, bring well, it's a in. one run game. Your season's I mean, on the line. Yeah, you got you, you let him hit. Leave. Yeah, let him but at the same time, him. you know, a pinch runner, a pinch hitter here. Maybe you could have they used Schwarber yet? You could bring up Kyle Schwarber here. Mm. I see. I, I don't take your closer out of the game here. Not with your season on the line. This is the right move. It's the right move. I don't know. I see. I see some of the comments saying, "Why would you let him bat?" I see both sides of it. I'd let him bat though. I'm going down with my best. So that means having Chapman on the mound. I'll let him try and get that eight out save. You don't want to have that what if factor where you pinch hit for him, the guy you pinch hit for strikes out, and then whoever you brings in gives up two runs and you lose the World Series. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I understand why they're why they're gonna let Chapman hit here. Anyway, back to football Broncos. Twenty seven nineteen winners over the Chargers at home today. Wade Phillips involved in a very scary collision on the sideline. He was actually carted off the field. But he was released from the hospital already. Good news for him. Denver improves to six and two after that win. Denver six and two. The Raiders six and two. So both teams still on pace for first place in that division. And the Raiders and the Denver Broncos. Interesting note here. They have not played each other yet in the first eight games of the year. So they will play twice over the next eight weeks of the season, and that will likely determine the outcome of the division based on what happens in those matchups. Anyway, now the Falcons pull it out against the Packers. They avoid a third straight loss at the Georgia Dome. They win 33-32. Muhammad Sanu, an 11-yard touchdown catch with 31 seconds remaining. The Falcons move to 5-3 and three on the season. This is an interesting win for Atlanta, and late in this game, it looked like Green Bay had a chance to, to finish them off, and Atlanta came back and found a way to get this victory. Good credit to the Falcons, though, because they had just a terrible loss last week to the Chargers. So for them to find a way to win at home against Green Bay and come up with a stop late on Aaron Rodgers, that was an impressive home win when they needed to get, and they found a way to do it. So I'll give them credit there. But Green Bay, 4-3, and three, they just don't look like the Green Bay Packer teams were accustomed to seeing. So 4-3 and three, still in a good, good spot in the NFC. But once again, this Green Bay Packers team not the team. Not I think clicking, a lot of not clicking thought, like they thought they would be. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought Green Bay would be a 12-win team, 13-win team. I think people thought the Packers are going to be really good, and they were a dark horse Super Bowl team for a lot of people. Anyway, now Sunday Night Football, it is a good one at the two-minute warning, 23-23. The Eagles have the football in their own time. How much time you say is left? Throw the two-minute warning. Two-minute warning, okay. Two-minute warning, and Des Bryant just scored a touchdown. Do we dare see another overtime and then a tie? Back-to-back Sunday night football ties. 
That'd be three. three the year of the tie this year, Chernock. Three Jay nationally Chernock. Year of the tie. games. That would be pretty. Well, that's a, that's another reason why the NFL product has 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 contributed to the ratings being down. Some of these games are just unwatchable with the poor quarterback play. We talked a lot about the flags being thrown in that Raiders game against the Bucks earlier. I mean, some of these games have just been brutal. And I don't think anyone wants to watch a tie. I just think, and I'm sick of these Thursday night games too. Well, just while you're on the while we're on the topic, while we're on the ratings topic here, the, another reason why the ratings are down is you're right, oversaturated the product. We, there's too many. There's football on every night now, and the prime we time games. To see the Thursday and, night and, games. And the the problem is, is it used to be, ten years ago, ten plus years ago. Primetime games were, were great matchups. You know, you anticipated a great game on a Sunday night and a Monday night. Now you mention it. With the saturation of all these teams and the Thursday nights, you, you we're seeing prime time games that just aren't very good. And the, the Thursday night games are now routinely bad games. Mm-hmm. They're routinely bad games with two teams wearing hideous uniforms. I mean, it's enough. I've had enough of Thursday night. I get it. It's a moneymaker. We love it. Goodell loves it. But it, it, it's not a good product on the field. It's, just, it's too much. And these games are bad. The guys are in a situation where they can't at all get ready to play. They don't practice. The game plans are are very minimal. I mean, it's sloppy, missed tackle, football all over the field on these Thursday night games. And then you have football on all day Sunday. You have a Sunday night game. Then you have a game on Monday. It's too much. You don't need a Thursday night game, and it's a complete money grab. The the actual on-air product is garbage, and everything going on with the election. Every week it's garbage. Every week for the last two years, Thursday night games have sucked. And honestly, all the primetime games for the most part this year – have not been very good. I mean, last week we had a tie. Maybe tonight will end up being an exciting game with Dallas and the Eagles tied up with under two minutes to play now. But it's one of those things where the ratings are down. Well, you know what? you got to fix the product on the field because terrible quarterback play, too many penalties, too many commercials. It all adds up to people saying, you know what? Maybe I don't need to watch this game, this meaningless Thursday night game. It doesn't interest me. Yeah, I mean, you could just Google NFL, and see the score wherever you are. Yeah, I mean, even the NFL is vulnerable to their ratings dropping a little bit. Now, they're still the king of, of sports television. Don't get me wrong. More people watch football than any other sport. But there's a reason why the ratings have gone down, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact the on-air product is oversaturated, as we just talked about, and it's just not very good. What we're watching is not good football a lot of times. That, I think, altogether contributes to why the NFL ratings have taken a hit this year. And now, uh, like we were just talking about that game, the Dallas Cowboys have a chance to win this game. They have the ball with a minute and 42 seconds remaining and the chance to drive for that game-winning score. Tomorrow night, Bears and Vikings on Monday Night Football in Chicago. Minnesota looking to bounce back after that surprising first loss last week to Philadelphia. Chicago is 1-6, but that is the game of tomorrow night. Jake, thanks for taking us through the league. We love it. Uh, of course, we love it. We Jake, appreciate it. Now let's let's get to what you wore for Halloween last night. You said you were some character from Bob's Burgers. Well, well, let's well, first you off, yourself with a mustache. Let's let's just talk about this <laughs> because because now that now that this was brought up, it is Halloween weekend, big party weekend, of course, big of course. big dress up weekend. We yes. love the costumes, and well, we had an issue with what you did last. And night. it wasn't an issue as much as a little. Com- Who were you last? You night? Were, I was Bob from Bob's Burgers. Okay, a show I never watched, but it's it's Bob from Bob's Burgers. You with a mustache. It's basically the old, the, the <laughs> bad part about this is really the outfit is supposed to be gray sweatpants and a white shirt and a and an apron. I did not realize the apron part until too late for me to acquire an apron. So I wound up wearing just a mustache and a white shirt 
and then these gray sweatpants. Now, do you think people thought you were just you with a mustache? I think that people did think that, and there was actually an Instagram post today proclaiming just that from the great A.J. Feldman. Love him. Great guy. Uh, he did, uh, in fact, say that, and I think one could assume that if they just saw me without realizing who I was. Um, but, look, I mean, sometimes you just got to take you just gotta take it as it comes, and I had to do that Listen, last night. Listen, I— I had to do it last it night. It wasn't— It worked out. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. I could have had a lot worse things happen last I night. I mean, all you were doing was wearing uh, a mustache. You didn't have to do anything ridiculous. Yeah, you weren't doing fine. anything out of this world. Fine. And during a break, we're going to show a pic to the audience. that We have a couple people commenting, show a picture of what you look like. We'll pull up a picture. Actually, you know what? Our, our producer, Ben Beatty, will be able to flash the— Facebook Live, what Jake Chernock was wearing last night. But we had to get into into it with you on the show because I don't know what was going on. It was you with a mustache, but I hope you, I hope you had a great night. You should consider Hi. growing the mustache because I did think it was a good look on you. Thank you. A little itchy, you, you said, though. Oh, it was so it – was, it was very uncomfortable. Well, you kept, I saw you have kept patting it because it was it falling off. Yeah, it kept falling off, and then it was itchy. It was – it, it, was was it, was, it was a mess. It was a mess. It was It was kind of a mess. BernieSanders.com. It's it a mess. Six oh seven. It is true. It is true. It was. It was. It was a mess. Thanks for listening to the Asbin and Budic Show. To keep up with the guys, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter with the handle at Asbin Budic Show.